Welcome to Moving On. Here you will get expert information, tips, and most importantly, the tools to moving on to a healthy, happy, and thriving life that you want to be living. Letting go of whatever is holding you back, whether you are in an unhealthy relationship or learning how to be in a healthy one, or maybe you are in a job that you've been dying to move on from, Learn to let go of what's holding you back and become the thriving, healthy, and happy person that is inside you. Welcome to Moving On. Greetings, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Ace in the Hole, sharing the secret sauce. So today I have with me a guest and his name is Keeve Huffman. And let me tell you a little bit about him and then we'll get started learning more about him when we talk to him. So Keeve has built lifestyle businesses and created new brands and products in music, cannabis and tech for over 25 years. He was one of the founders of the leading cannabis media company, Prohibited Media, which built the first multi-platform video network, creating a leading branding agency that worked on over 60 plus brand projects. As founder and CEO of Engager Brands, he continues to leverage his deep experiences in cannabis and music to bring a unique and global approach to creating authentic lifestyle brands. He builds multi-state cannabis brands with multinational appeal, including Heavy Grass, Neon Roots, and Clown Cannabis. Keeve has worked for or with leading technology, media, mobile, and consumer brands, including all the major music, film, and TV companies, as well as Apple, Microsoft, Mountain Dew, Jägermeister, and more. In this time, or excuse me, in his time in the music industry, he grew the digital business at BMG from under 1 million to 250 million as its GM of digital for North America. Keeve has a, pe- a passion for health and wellness, travel, food, and music. He lives his sport, his sporting life vicariously through his 13-year-old soccer-playing son. I had to laugh a little bit because um, I guess that happens as we get older, right? Absolutely. It's like, uh, well, it's it's so amazing, you know, having a child when you get to re-experience things again and, and see them through their eyes, right? Absolutely. I am uh, all about that. I mean, I still like to experience things. I still like to feel like I'm somewhat athletic as I get older. What I found is that I've actually, uh, my, my uh, activities have evolved. So where I was extremely active in team sports younger, I'm now much more active in more individual sports, such as I, you know, working out at the gym or, or practicing yoga uh, those kinds of things. Uh, unfortunately, my my ankles don't really support my ability to uh, take high impact sports anymore so well. So. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Absolutely. So I want to just dig in a little bit and get started with, you know, some questions around who you are and, you know, how you've gotten to where you are as far as your mindset and your motivation. But to start with, I want to know when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question because I remember, I think it must have been when I was maybe in seventh or eighth grade, which is ironically about the same age as, as my son right now. And we had a school project and that project was to come and present you know, what you wanted to be when you grew up. 
And I found that I had a really hard time with that. And I defaulted to what my father was doing. My father was an, an account executive at IBM. And I honestly didn't even know what that meant um, at the time. And so, but I just said, I wanted to be a business person. And I didn't really fully obviously understand what being a business person meant. Uh, but I did know that I didn't want to be, you know, like a lot of people, they knew they wanted to be a, you know, a lot of people at that time, it was very aspirational, right? Like, I'm gonna, I want to be, I want to be uh, a professional athlete or an actor or potentially, you know, a policeman, firefighter, those kinds of things. So, you know, some, sometimes doctor, um, but yeah, I just knew that I wanted to be in business in some way, shape or form, but I really wasn't quite sure what that really meant. Yeah, I can understand that as a kid, I don't think we really know. It's like I wanted to be a crossing guard at one point, and I think it was because I wanted to help kids and it looked like fun to interact with kids, but I have no idea what my motivation was. Um, and so I guess that comes to like as a kid, were you more of a leader? Did you march to the beat of your own drum? Like what kind of a kid were you? Because I'm thinking businessman, okay, I want to be a businessman. So that tells me perhaps you were already thinking differently than everybody else if they all wanted to be athletes. Yeah, I, I think I was a little bit of all of the above. Um, I was, I mean, I was just naturally somewhat of a leader just because I was a I was a decent athlete myself, um, and I also was a pretty high achiever in school. So I was just kind of naturally a leader in the classroom as well as a leader um, athletically. But that being said, I also did march to the beat of my own drum in quite a number of respects because I never fully felt comfortable with sort of the... I don't know what you would call it, like the, the popular crowd, right? Because I wasn't necessarily the cool kid, you know, because like, oh, well, he's kind of a brainiac or, you know, um, you know, I, I had different interests, you know, like I was, I, I was a voracious reader growing up and that wasn't always necessarily like the coolest thing. I played clarinet, you know, <laughs> which was not like definitely not the coolest thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I kind of, you know, and luckily for me, um, I was raised in a household where my parents very much encouraged, you know, marching to the beat of your own drum, right? Like follow, follow your, uh, follow your passions, um, be true to yourself and, you know, don't succumb to the peer pressures, right? Of, of that's just so easy for you to fall into and not to say that I didn't, you know, from time to time, but for the most part, uh, I feel that I was pretty fortunate in that, um, I was able to have, I don't know, I, it's hard to explain and it's hard to fully, you know, it, it, comprehend exactly kind of why I had this, but I've just always had, I've always had a lot of self-confidence you know, in myself. And as a result of that, um, I tended not to really care what other people thought. And that was a really, really, I think that that's a pretty important sort of secret sauce to have, uh, you know, throughout your life, 
because to have your decisions be driven and just your motivations and just your actions be driven, what you think other people want um, is incredibly, I, I think, detrimental to you being able to be uh, successful. I totally agree with you. So, of course, I'm wondering how has your motivation, you know, that kind of motivation, having that self-confidence really set you apart or set your path in your career? Well, it set me apart in that I've always been someone who's been interested in the what's next. You know, when I was at um, BMG and then Sony BMG, I was one of the early digital music people. And at the time when I first got into it, you know, no one, it, it was like no one wanted to do it, right? Because like, well, what is this? You know, like, oh, this, this internet thing, what's that going to be? Um, which is kind of funny to think back now, right? I'm definitely, you know, aging myself, but, you know, back in the, you know, early to mid nineties, like it wasn't a sure thing that the internet was going to become what it is today. You know, like it was just a, you know, most people were on 14.4 modems, you know, <laughs> there was, you know, it took, you know, it took several minutes to download a photo. Uh, you know, a lot of people forget that now. Um, so I was able to kind of see that as I, I kind of saw where it was going and, you know, ha I, I had the self-confidence in my belief that the world was going to fundamentally change because of this new, you know, this new technology, this new platform. And I couldn't quite put my finger on exactly what it was going to be, but I just knew it was going to be big and that I wanted to be a part of it. And early on, you know, a lot of people were like, well, why are you, do, why are you going down that path? You know, and it was like, well, because I, I believe that this is the path to the future. And, um, and so it served me just well throughout, you know, even within that industry, it was interesting. I had a very different perspective than most of my counterparts. Um, most of my counterparts within the music industry were very focused on, I would say, maintaining the status quo, which was figuring out how to create digital versions of CDs and selling those versus, oh my God, this is the most incredible opportunity in the history of recorded music. Look at all this pent up demand that we have not been um, servicing properly. We need to figure out new models. And I was always a supporter of these new models. Um, that was not the most popular place to be, honestly, at working for a record company because they were very much more interested in putting figuring out how to put the genie back in the bottle and getting people to like, you know, buy, buy albums, you know, again. And so anyway, I, I've just always had this drive, you know, a belief in what I felt was, was the direction that things need to go. And as a result, you know, sometimes it has kept me from, you know, rising all the way up as high as I potentially could have gone in the corporate world, which I think is a big reason why I became an entrepreneur very late in life and decided to start to do 
to run my own businesses because I would always come up against the ceiling eventually in the corporate world where it's, if you want to advance any further, then it really just becomes like almost all about politics. And for me, I just like actually getting shit done <laughs> and solving problems and doing things. And so for me, the only way that I was ever going to be able to be fulfilled and to reach, you know, the heights of being able to be a CEO, which I have now been uh, several times, was to really build my own businesses. That makes a lot of sense. And I am right on board with you. The last time I was in corporate was many years ago and as a vice president in a global ad agency. And I remember being on a phone call. You're just reminding me of it. I was on a phone call with all the other VPs and the CEO and the senior VPs. And I was talking about something and there were crickets, like literally nobody was responding. And I thought, oh shit, I am in uh, deep shit. I don't, I don't, I mean, I knew I didn't really belong there anymore, but I think it's interesting when you really want to create something, I think it's very difficult to do it in a corporate culture. Absolutely. I mean, it depends. I mean, there are, and I believe that things that have evolved over time with corporate culture. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I do think that there are some corporate cultures that encourage a bit more uh, creativity um, and outside the box thinking, but those are far and few between. And yeah, I mean, just this whole groupthink approach is, you know, extremely challenging to work with, especially if you're someone that is predisposed to uh, having, you know, confidence in your own thoughts and thinking that, you know what, this is what I believe is the right way. And I'm going to express those thoughts, whether or not they kind of are in line with groupthink or not. And yeah, I've been on those cricket calls as well, uh, Tracy. So I I hear where you're coming from. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting, you know, in listening to you talk, because of course I have a bunch of questions and I'm trying to go, well, which one do I want to ask first? Because I'm looking at, okay, you've been the CEO of more than one business and, but going back to that leap from corporate to entrepreneur is not necessarily an easy thing for most people to do. So I guess I want to ask that first, like, what was it that you finally said, I've got to go start my own thing? Yeah, well, I think some of it, I, you know, I expressed about, you know, earlier, which was that I, when I moved, so I, my first part of my career was in New York in the music industry. Then I moved out to LA and focused more on, I uh, worked at a mobile content company and then I worked at a video game uh, company and experienced the same things where I would reach a certain point and it just became so political that it just wasn't that interesting to me anymore. And also I had the, I had the great fortune when I was, in the music industry during this really creative, interesting, you know, time where a whole new, you know, paradigm was being created that I had all these really incredible entrepreneurs come through my door and explain to me their vision of their company and how they saw the future of music uh, unfolding. And I was inspired, you know, and, and, and also quite often I'd say like, you know what, I'm, 
<laughs> these guys aren't any smarter than I am, you know, uh, I, I could do that. And so I think in the back of my mind, that's where the seed was, was planted. And then um, I, I think I just finally got to the point and there was a, a meltdown at, at the glass company that I was at where just, it was just mismanaged and there was just a lot of things that went wrong. And I was like, you know what, enough's enough. I need to take control of my, of my career, of my life. I, I'm going to start working for myself, which is an extremely scary and challenging th thing to do uh, later in life, right? Because mm -hmm. most entrepreneurs are kind of, you know, typically, uh, you know, at least in the stereotypes are like, you know, some 20 somethings that, you know, if they need to, they can live on, you know, they can live on a couch and, you know, and do whatever it takes, make the sacrifices, you know, in the early days of the startup. But, you know, at, at the time that I started, you know, my son had just, was just been born, you know? So here I am with a child and a family and a mortgage and I'm starting my first company and then a recession hit. Um, after I raised my first tranche of money to get that thing started. And, uh, you know, the one thing that I learned very quickly uh, after becoming a, an entrepreneur was that I actually have the intestinal fortitude to be able to withstand the punishing blows that come with starting your own business. <laughs> And that's not for everyone. It really isn't. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with working for, for a company. Uh, and I'd have a lot of people come to me and say, hey, Keith, you know, I've always had this idea that I want to do this, that, or the other. And uh, I just want to find out from you, you know, what it's like to become an entrepreneur. And I was, I'm always a straight shooter and I would not, I would never sugarcoat. And I would say, well, first of all, you have to understand that um, you may lose everything if you're putting your neck out there. You have no safety net if you're if you're an entrepreneur. You know you and you you see people's faces just go blank a lot of times, and they're like, "Oh no, that's not for me. I can't do that. Um, that's too scary." Uh, so it, it's it's a pretty you know it's not a plunge for everyone. But for me, I, I, I took to it. I've experienced incredible, incredible highs and incredible lows. Uh, but after having now run my own companies for the last dozen years, I just can't imagine doing anything else. I can understand that. I think that there, you know, there is obviously a place for, hey, if you're going to work in corporate, that's fine. And I know people that are successful and they're happy in it. I think for a lot of people that become entrepreneurs, you know, I was one of those kids who was selling things and I was always doing my own thing. Even when I worked in corporate, I was. But, you know, the one thing I would say is it's a creative position to be an entrepreneur. And with those highs and those lows, you really don't know, you cannot predict. And so I guess the question would be, you know, what were some of the greatest challenges that you've hit upon? I mean, that one coming out of the recession and you had just gotten funding, um, I'm imagining you pretty much had to be going pretty strongly from the get-go. Yes. Uh, well, 
absolutely creativity is incredibly important. Uh, as they call it in, in the startup world, the ability to pivot is, is extremely <laughs> important. So my first company, we, we built our, you know, our MVP uh, of, of you know, our minimum viable product. And it was originally going to be a, a, a business to consumer, a B2C play. And we needed more money to be able to market and get, get our product out there. And the recession had just hit. It was impossible to raise money for a company that had actually already launched. It was more than a PowerPoint and a dream. We actually had a product, but we had no revenue yet. So we had to pivot into a B2B model, um, and, which was like, okay, well, we've got to generate revenue off of the product that we've already built. And so we had to pivot the business to have that product work more for other businesses. And that wasn't, you know, in retrospect, it wasn't the greatest, uh, <laughs> it wasn't the greatest solution because what ends up happening is that your, your, your product ends up getting somewhat Frankenstein because you're at the mercy of your clients and kind of how your product development is going to roll out. But it did keep the company alive um, and it did allow us to bring on some pretty incredible uh, clients and partners. And it actually got my um, platform to a point where a major, uh, a major entertainment company was interested in buying it. Um, and we got to uh, just to fast forward to just talk about like the, the highs and lows of, of, mm -hmm. of startup world. Uh, we were six months into the negotiation of, of finalizing the sale and there was a reorg at the company and the new people came in said, Oh, we, we love your, we love your idea, but we've had a change of strategy. And oh. So I was kind of left at the altar, you know, had poured my entire life savings into this business, had dedicated two and a half years of my life to it and was pretty much left with nothing. You know, I had to start over, start my career over um, after having had incredible successes, you know, in the music industry, you know, running a $250 million, you know, line of business. Um, having had other successes and here we are coming out of a recession. I have no job. I have a failed product and what am I going to do next? What did you do next? <laughs> I mean, that's a hard place to be in. And I would imagine that mindset wise and obviously how you were feeling about things in general must've played into it, but what did you do next? I, so I, the first thing that I did was I started just leveraging my network. So, you know, the one thing that you always, that you always have, and I'm a big believer in this, and I was a believer in this, you know, from the start of my, my career. Um, and it's become much more sort of possible to create this now, particularly in the age of the internet with a lot of, you know, social media platforms and particularly when you're building career platforms such as like LinkedIn, but 
this concept that you're only as strong as your own personal brand is, you know? And so I leveraged the fact that I had a strong personal brand. I was always good to people. I always treated people the way that I wanted to be treated. Um, even when I was on the way up and because my experience has been that, you know, you want those people to return your phone calls when you're on the way down. And it's like to be so conceited to think that there is no down, um, then you're going to be one of those people that will be struggling when, when you need people, then you're like, Oh, no one's returning my phone calls. No one's returning my emails. So I leveraged my network and I started taking on some consulting projects, started, you know, at least getting a little bit of revenue. And then I ended up coming across like a, 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 an opportunity that was just unique to me, which was that, okay, I had worked in, the media industry in New York. And I'd been working in LA with all of these really incredible entrepreneurs in the, in the LA tech scene. And a lot of these, these platforms and solutions um, I found could have applications for helping these media companies in New York. And there was no one there to connect those dots. So I created an agency that basically brought LA based um, customer acquisition and customer retention uh, solutions to media companies. And where I found my niche for in, in the media companies world was around um, book and magazine publishers because no one was really paying attention to them because they had smaller budgets and they were seen as sort of a dying, you know, industries. And I ended up building a, uh, and I was the single employee at this company. We ended up building to where we were um, bringing in, um, you know, low seven figures a year in a relatively short period of time. So I, I was able to come out of the depths of, um, <laughs> you know, look, I understand why people become alcoholics or, you know, addicted to drugs or go into a really, really dark place because I, you know, I had to make that decision, right? It's like, well, where am I going to go? You know, mm -hmm. and I made the decision of I'm going to continue to bet on myself. And I am smart enough that I can figure out how to find a way out and a solution. And sure enough, I was able to do that. And it wasn't easy. I mean, it took, you know, it took about a year and a half probably to get to that seven figure in, in, in revenue. But it was incredibly gratifying when I got there. Uh, and it, it, it also proved to me that I could build a successful business. Wow. I love this. I love this for so many reasons. Um, you know, because obviously I'm an entrepreneur too, but in the listeners that are hearing this, I think most people don't get what you said at the beginning about your self-confidence. And obviously that's what comes through in what you just shared. It's that confidence in yourself that you could do it, even though you didn't know for sure, but you did. And you were able to fulfill what it was you thought you could do, which to me, that kind of mindset is so important when you do hit those setbacks, because it's always the setbacks. There's always going to be circumstances that challenge us. Absolutely. And one thing that I, you know, 
it's interesting because I've had, I've had, you know, <laughs> I've had some other ups and downs. I've had uh, a, another successful company that came out of that. And then, um, and then COVID hit. And um, on top of the fact that my, the, the industry that I was in uh, pretty much had a reset and a collapse um, right before COVID hit. So I had to, during the, uh, the, the pandemic, you know, do another reset, you know, for myself. And during that time, because I had so much downtime, um, I, I did a lot of reading and I really got into uh, stoicism and, and, and reading a lot of philosophy. And what I, what I came to learn is that I'm, I'm, I've always been a stoic, but I just didn't know it. And one of the things about stoicism that really resonates with me is that it's important to just focus on the things that you can control. And to not pay attention to the things that you can't control. So you can't control that there's a recession going on. You can't control that there's a pandemic going on. You can't control that things be, that impact your business um, are happening. And to take a woe is me and, you know, and to blame, play, try to place blame is really only hurting yourself right? All you can do is focus on, okay, what can I do to impact what I'm trying, you know, have a, have a positive impact on my, on my future. And so I've always taken that approach, even in the darkest days, you know, I mean, it's definitely, you know, some self-confidence, but it's also just a, just an understanding, an inherent understanding that, um, you know, you're, you control your destiny, you know, like you really do. It's really your choice on whether or not you're going to be successful. And if you think that it's just left to circumstance and chance, then uh, chances are you won't reach your full potential because you won't be in a position, you know, there's, there's always times where, you know, I hear people say, Keith, you were so, you were so lucky to have been in, you know, X, Y, or Z situation. And I was like, you know, maybe there was a little bit of luck involved, but you know, I'm the one that put myself to be able to be in that position. And then I actually was the one that was able to make something out of the situation that I was put into. Right. And to be able to kind of drive it forward. So, you know, there's that saying, you make your own luck. Right. And um, so I'm a believer in that as well. And, and, and so, yeah, it's look, I, you know, it's whether you're an entrepreneur or whether, you know, whatever it is you're doing in life, there's always going to be those times where you just got to take the sucker punch that, you know, whether, you know, it, oftentimes it's, it's through circumstances that you can't control. So, um, you know, that would be something that I think is just important for your listeners to, if they don't already kind of embrace that is focus on the things that you can control. And as long as you stay dedicated and true to yourself and you, and you have to believe, right? Belief. Believe, believe, believe. 
<laughs> there's the manifestation part of it as well. Um, you know, if you believe you will, you will, uh, achieve. I agree with you 1 million percent because that is how I have lived my life. And it is truly, um, I, I don't know, to me, circumstances cannot define you unless they, you allow them to define you. And from what you're saying, it's like, yeah, okay, these are the circumstances, but I'm going to keep on going and I'm going to keep looking at what, as you said, is in your control. So, you know, before we wrap it up, I'd love to hear more about what it is you did create uh, with Engager Brands, because obviously that's something that has launched, you said, during the pandemic, right? It is. So I ended up about seven years ago, uh, sitting around with a bunch of these really incredible entrepreneurs that I've been working with that my, you know, that I'd gotten to know through my first startup and then through my agency. And we identified that there was an opportunity uh, in the cannabis industry to start to kind of help bring cannabis into uh, the more mainstream, you know, and, th and seven years ago, most of the content and the branding out there was very different than it is today. I mean, it was very much kind of focused on the, the what I would call like the stoner dude, like stereotype. <laughs> and, you know, we recognize that there, that was only about, you know, 10% of, of cannabis consumers actually fit that stereotype. So this other 90% that were using cannabis to either, you know, for either medical purposes or to help with anxiety, help with sleep, you know, to relax, to, you know, socialize, whatever, whatever it may be. But there weren't really like, I, you know, there wasn't really content and brands that spoke to these different audiences. And so, you know, at Prohibited Media, we created um, a whole bunch of different brands for other people. Um, we, we had an in-house agency was one of the things that we did. And oftentimes people would come to us and say, hey, we've got this incredible product. We just need a brand now. And our first question would always be, well, well who's your audience? And, you know, usually the answer would be, well, people that smoke weed, you know, <laughs> or, you know, it's like they, they didn't really have that. And so I recognize having built intellectual property catalogs, having helped to build brands within the music industry that it's like, wow, this is a big opportunity here to kind of create brands that speak to specific targeted demos, targeted lifestyles, and kind of low hanging fruit for me were, were, you know, music lifestyles because, you know, I was, you know, obviously having had worked in the music industry. So at Engager Brands, what we're doing is we have a portfolio of brands that focus on different music lifestyles um, for cannabis consumers. So we're building these brands. One's called Heavy Grass, which is for the heavy metal, hard rock lifestyle. One's called Neon Roots, which is focused on the electronic dance music scene and the rave scene. And we have several more in development. And we're taking these out and we're actually marketing these brands directly at music festivals and concerts and taking a more I don't know, traditional marketing approach uh, to bringing these brands into the mainstream. And 
there aren't a lot of companies really doing this right now, which is both a blessing and a curse. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a blessing because, you know, we don't have a lot of competition. It's a curse because there's a lot of education that needs to go on to help people understand what it is that we're doing. Um, but it's really exciting. We, uh, I kind of look at the cannabis industry in many of the ways that I look at the internet days early on, which is that we're now in cannabis 2.0. Uh, we kind of had a, a, a boom in the like, you know, 2017, 18, and then at the end of 2019, things kind of collapsed, you know, and then, then COVID hit. And so now we're working our way back again. Um, things are still challenging. Uh, you know, we haven't gotten a whole lot of, uh, favors from our federal government. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm extremely bullish, uh, on what we're doing and excited. And it's, for me, it's fun. And it's also, I think, important because I think the, the, the brands that are created today are the ones that are going to be the, the meaningful ones, uh, moving forward. And we're building these brands with an international audience in mind because music fans are everywhere. Well, that is very true. And I couldn't agree more with that. I, I tend to find it really intriguing, you know, with cannabis and how that has been brought into the mainstream, considering when I grew up, uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's so different because um, obviously it's legal. Uh, but it's just so funny because as you were talking, I could kind of visualize what that looks like. And I just think that's really an incredible niche to, uh, to have an opportunity to be in. And so, you know, before we wrap it up, obviously we want to let people know where they can find you, but is there anything that you would like to leave people with in terms of maybe looking at what their own secret sauce is or, you know, what steps you would say, Hey, look, you really are the captain of your own ship. Sure. Well, I think it, it goes back to, you know, identifying, um, you know, what, what drives you, where your passions lie, where your strengths lie, because, you know, you're going to be successful if you play to your strengths, you know, because you're just, you just, you're just better at those things, right? Like a lot of people try to do stuff that maybe they, they're, they aspire to, but they're not actually good at. And then, um, and just once you make the decision, you know, it, it's really a mindset change. It's like, look, I believe that I'm going to be successful and therefore I will be, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there and whatever roadblocks are put in my way. Um, I will not be deterred and I will always find a way to my, you know, to, to reach my ultimate, uh, ultimate successes in, in both, you know, and, and that, that honestly kind of, you know, relates to all aspects of your life, you know, um, not just your career. But yeah, I mean, I think that those are things and just, again, focus on the things that you can control. And those are all things that you can't control, right? Your belief, your, your, your drive, um, your refusal to, uh, to take no for an answer, <laughs> to take anything <laughs> less for yourself than, than your own success. I love that. I really do. And I resonate with that. I'm a big believer of it and I use it in my work and uh, in myself as well. I think it takes people a long time to understand that they don't have to compete in a sense. Like I don't need to 
rise up to the other circumstances of someone else, but to keep staying in your own lane and be really creating your life or creating your business, creating whatever it is. Um, I just think there's so much more motivation in doing that and so much more success. Absolutely. And so how you can find out more about me, I, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can find me if you just do a search for my name. Uh, and then how you can find out more about Engager Brands is we're at uh, engagerbrands.com. And you can see what we're doing there. And if you're interested in any of our individual brands, um, there are links to each of those uh, on that site. Awesome. Thank you so much, Keith, for joining me today. I have enjoyed our conversation. And everybody who's listening, again, engageyourbrands.com. And if you have any questions or anything, uh, wherever you happen to find this podcast, uh, it's going to be on all platforms. But you know, if you find it on social media, you can also leave questions there and we'll make sure that they, they get back to Keith. So anyways, everybody, we will see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. For more information about Tracy and her programs and to set up a discovery session, email happiness at tracycrossley.com. That's happiness at tracycrossley.com or go to the website for more information. And thank you for tuning in to Moving On 